Greetings, this is The Pub, Starlight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. I'm Dean Karpowitz. I'm Molly Krassel. I'm Daniel Morbach. And I'm Sarah Willis. Today on the show, mental health in graphic novels. So, we're going to start with I Kill Giants. What'd you all think? We read it. We loved it. We hated it. We cried. We laughed. We we didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. Did you? Did anyone laugh? There were a couple of like dry chuckles. Uh, for those of you who only watched the Netflix movie, uh, I'm just going to plant my flag in the ground and say the graphic novel is better. Just go out and pick that up and, the and read it. The book is always better than the movie. Nine times out of ten. Yes, 100%. But this time I feel particularly protective of that because this just works so much better in a graphic novel form i have our opening question then why yeah that's a good question why that is a great question i think there's a more kinetic energy and i think that the the medium allows for more suspension of disbelief and i think there's a certain iconography when you're dealing with the designs of the characters and the design of that that really great freaking uh, uh iconic hammer um where you can supplant your your own ideas and your own identities on the characters and those iconography uh emblems as opposed to in the the, the cinema where you what you see is what you get and what you see is what you interpret very face value so there's there's a lot of energy that I think is lost when you're just trying to film it as something that exists in the real world. I watched none of the film, but I will say I wondered with the just just the the handle of the hammer how they would kind of do that. You know, the way the the way the hammer appears and its presence in the graphic novel as this weirdly mythical thing mm-hmm. that is impossible, you know? I guess we should probably set that up for people who are not familiar with the graphic novel we're talking about. Do it. It is a real-world graphic novel, but the young protagonist has a mythical hammer in her tiny little purse that when she pulls it out is three times the size of her body, giant, huge. And like you get into these fantastical segments where she's fighting giants that are basically D&D monsters that she thinks are real. Yeah. Are they real? It's one of those weird kind of, um, I was just talking about uh, Studio Ghibli films with my friends about how a lot of those films are um, coming of age stories where you have these fantastical elements that are always presented as, are they real? Are they the imagination of the characters? And um, I guess that's up to the reader to decide. I mean, I think the beauty of it is just like um, my neighbor, uh, Tutoro, which mm -hmm. is sort of, um, I love the cat bus, you know, doesn't love the cat bus. Yeah, it's creepy (laughs) and wonderful. Um, But, uh, and everyone in the, everyone, well, uh, the, the most important people in the anime know about it and believe in it, right? Mm-hmm. But it's they are the vehicle by which most of the time we see the world. And I think that's part of what the hammer is here. It has to be this weirdly mythical kind of thing, right? 
Well, I think that, and it's also functionally absurd. Like yeah. the handle is incredibly, it's like a pipe cleaner handle. Yeah. And at the tip is this massive, like this beautifully massive hammer end where you're like, that thing's got to weigh like 700 pounds, but somehow the, the handle is a pipe cleaner, right? So it's, it's incredibly thin. It doesn't make any logistical sense whatsoever. Right. And, but the fact that you see this like fiery take on the world adolescent sort of wielding this hammer, like I'm going to club you in the head with it. It's just so, so much emotional energy tied up in, in that. The absurdity of it, I think, is yeah. just so wonderful. Is the Netflix adaptation uh, live action? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I think that is interesting in relation to what Daniel said, too, because I thought I, I watched the movie first before I knew that it was even a graphic novel and watching it made me want to read it because it was just so interesting. And I think like story wise that they were fairly faithful. But where the suspension of disbelief comes in is when you look at it in a graphic novel, everything is the same. You know, the art style is all similar across the board, whereas in something like a film, the way that you're looking at it, you see people who you recognize in one particular light and then CGI, which you recognize as something else. So it sort of separates your um, idea of it being a cohesive element, whereas in a graphic novel, because the art style is all uniform across the board, everything makes a little more sense and allows you to suspend that disbelief. Right. You get that bleed between where you have this narrator that you're depending on and you don't always know when we're going into fantasy land because yeah. nothing's changed as far as the presentation. Yeah. That's really cool. It was super sad. I did not know what to expect yes. when I read it. I cried my <laughs> eyeballs out. Yep. I did not cry. You're a liar. Don't you lie to the viewers. <laughs> How dare you? Shed manly tears. Yes, I did. And I was waiting. I was in the parking lot waiting for my dog. In COVID, you drop your dog off and wait to have her little uh, session. The, the vet. Is she in therapy? Does she have mental health problems? Yes. Does she have a hammer? <laughs> <laughs> and there was a very old gentleman in the car next to me watching me tear up. And <laughs> I was like, no, it's okay, dude. You know, you probably thought your dog was dying. Yeah, that it's probably a good place to do that. Actually, now that I think about it, <laughs> you had a good excuse. Yeah, I had a, a manly excuse. My dog was being put to sleep. Or <laughs> it's okay, so Dean. Men can cry. It's twenty twenty one. Spoilers, but you know the the fact that you know, you're tricky. They're sitting in the car thinking you're trying to deal with death. You know, kind of relates to the common, well, right? Yeah, I mean, in a way you were. You were relating and dealing with death. Yeah. No, this was a really smart book. I liked it a lot. Just the whole exploration of, like, adolescent coping, blah, adolescent coping mechanisms and the way we deal with trauma as kids was very genuine. I didn't. I'll say I didn't see the sadness in me coming. I was, it was like suddenly one, I flipped the page and I was like, this isn't so bad. And then I flipped the page and thought, oh, 
this it's is a little bad. Yeah. Chipped away at you. It's all fun and games till the giants are personifications of death. Yeah. For me, it was when she talked to her shrink. And, you know, it was the aftermath when she said, it's time. So, like when she said, it's time, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? See, I, I never dealt with um, loss as a child in quite that way. So I yeah. didn't quite identify with that, but I dealt, I identified with the um, emotional problems and, you know, the, the, the school counselors just being like, can we just sit this student down and just try and figure out what's we care yeah. and we want to show that we care. And it's always so awkward. Yeah. It's super awkward when you're an adolescent and she's, this character is great character is just sitting here like no i i'm i am covered in armor and you cannot conceive of what i deal with and i am more of a badass than anybody else you could name and anybody else in this school and she inside she's just so sympathetically vulnerable yeah she's dealing with something that nobody should ever deal with certainly not a kid also, like, you can totally relate to the too-smart-for-her-own-age nerdy kid. Yeah. Who yeah. just has no patience for everything that's around her. Oh, I love it. Different animal ears for every outfit. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, those ears, those those great ears, like what Molly was talking about, how it doesn't quite feel the same from the, the live action versus the comic, is the, the comic has such synergy that you, you almost forget that that she's wearing ears and you almost think that she's this anthropomorphized sort of other creature at moments beast girl yeah because she's just got that like she's got fangs right Mm -hmm. and her personality like every shot and you know what i think one of my absolute favorite things about this book in particular is that that is her personality that prickliness, that intelligence, that strength is part of who she is. It's not it's not some particular like armor or anything like she even dons literal or is it figurative armor. But all of that, all of the ear wearing is not her like acting out or like, you know, behaving in a way that is just trying to get attention. That's genuinely who she is. And so what her delusion is, is just an extension of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that personality informs the way that she's having this this trauma response but mm-hmm. it is not it would have been there anyways i like too that just i've I've seen so many things and read so many movies where you have or <laughs> i've read so many books and seen so many movies where you see a character who is othered in such a way that when they like have that climactic life-changing moment that they normalize and i appreciate that that book that this book did not treat her like that like it wasn't the otherness that was something that needed to be fixed. It was just her needing to accept something herself. Right. I think the addition of Sophia, that's her friend. Yes. Um, is brilliant in that way. Right. I mean, she needs, oh, yeah. you know, she needs, she needs an, or the, the graphic novel needs an us, someone who we can sort or the reader can sort of say, I'm here to help. Right. And that's what, that's her, her role. Yeah, but I don't think she shows up and says, well, I'm here to help and I'm right. nurse character. It's her her avenue of helping is simply by being there and yeah. listening and being sympathetic and not being critical, even to the point where, honestly, she could 
stand to be criticized a bit here and there, but she allows her to sort of uh, work through it and, and metabolize it in, in the way that she needs it all metabolized. One of the brilliant things about the graphic novel is that it's not just a sort of um, evolution for our main character. It's also evolution for the friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's taught through the experience how to grow up too. And that's what I really love about um, the ending. Spoilers. Uh, you know, when she, the, the, the whole adversarial approach of the giants, uh, of course, being a, a sort of metaphor for what she's going through is, you know, I kill giants. It's literally the title. It's, it's her, her way she self-identifies. But by the end, it's she's had some sort of camaraderie or made some sort of peace with the giants because the giant is, is really this, this big lumbering change into her life that she has to sort of deal with. And there's a, um, a friendship, I think, is the wrong word, but for lack of a better word, that there's, you know, she looks out and she sees this this giant that she um titan this titan this ultra giant right and she uh she's kind of you know waves to it and this has this moment and I, I think it's that great moment between adolescence and borderline adulthood where you have to accept that these moments are always going to come and how you respond to that is what's important so let's talk a little bit about the title because she doesn't. And the giants are not, are not the evil that, that we thought they were, right? Um, when you, we, we realize that when the Titan says, I'm not here for her, I'm here for you, right? Um, and so does she kill giants? Um, because they're still there, right? They're ever-present kind of a profound question you <laughs> should have prepped that oh god <laughs> is a giant a thing that needs to be killed i guess is my counter question does it need to be killed or are we just are we incapable of killing them because they're they're always going to show up and and throw a big giant mm. monkey wrench in the stability that we think our lives are and is it strength in accepting that or is it some sort of resigned hopelessness to letting yourself be at the mercy of such a thing. Or is it just classic stoicism? I don't think many 10-year-olds are especially stoic. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all questions for you, Sarah. <laughs> uh, the giants symbolize grief, clearly. Let me push my glasses up my nose. <laughs> uh, no, I think... Um, She's a little girl who doesn't want to deal with deep hurts because little girls shouldn't have to deal with deep hurts. And she grows up in, in taking on that burden. But she doesn't kill. No, because right? I think she learns that killing is not the solution. You can't, you can't kill grief. You just can accept it. I kind of like the I in I Kill Giants. You know, it's sort of like, you know, whenever I teach a book that has the, that pronoun in the title, I always talk about the way it asks us to be complicit in what the title is saying. 
you know. Instead of she killed giants, yeah, I killed giants. That's as I lay dying, you know, William Faulkner is really a, a meditation on how we deal with this, how we deal with perception. And I think this graphic novel does something really similar. I kill giants is what we all think, or I think the graphic novel asks us to think about grief. I'll kill that. I'll, I'll own that, you know, I'll take it out. And really by the end of the book, we, or I don't kill giants, right? Well, we, we kill it by, we're going to kill it and thus avoid it. No, you, you're not going to kill my mom because I'm going to kill you. Lay right. down, boom, boom. But guess what? You don't get to do that. And I, I think that point where she has a confrontation with the Titan, a.k.a. the storm, however we want to perceive that. But at the end, he's still there. He's ever present in the water. And she it's, it's not a thing that happened once. And now he just goes away forever. No, he came back to give a sort of like. Yo, I'm still here. And she she doesn't reject that. She just sort of like deals with that. Which sucks, but I guess that's life. What did you think of the return to the classic sort of what did you do over summer break? I, th I mean, I thought that was kind of brilliant, you know, when we sort of come full circle by the end of the book and they're back in class. And mm, no, too many emotions. No. Next question. I'm not dealing with that. <laughs> It's current year. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's so. Yeah. Process we, your emotions. Yeah. We we have turned the year here in life, and, and things have for better only, or worse only gotten worse. Remember when Australia was on fire, and that was the worst of our troubles. Right. Yeah, exactly. How an entire continent was on fire, and we were like, yeah. Ooh. So here's what we do." We stow away our grief. We play D&D. &D. No, 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 no. That's not at all what we're supposed to learn from this. I'm certain of it. We don't, we don't deal with our, with our emotions. We play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> you have to sublimate your emotions, but only in a way that makes it beneficial in the end. You have to accept that the giant, like the water, is an agent of change. As opposed to that, that sounds like an adult thing to do. I'm not for it. No, you slay your emotions. It's right there in the title. You slay. You don't have human emotions. You kill them with a hammer, knife, chainsaw, whatever you have on hand. Kill your emotions. Do not process them. I'm not about. You know, this. Molly. Now that he's saying it that way, it doesn't sound as healthy. <laughs> When you no no you know what it does sound like though it sounds a lot like hyperbole and a half. <laughs> True, good transition. We've reached a wackiness, so there are there are ways to to uh, I don't want to keep saying sublimate, but sublimate your feelings into something fantastical, and then there's you know some fun. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love hyperbole and a half. Yeah, let's talk about the fun. What do we like about it? The fun of depression. <laughs> let's let's dive in dean you go first <laughs> she has such a beautiful tongue-in-cheek way of describing just the utter torturous boredom of your run-of-the-mill depression of uh, just how like it is not like the trauma like to 
put it side by side with I Kill Giants, this huge traumatic thing that you need to work your way through of just the like pointless, infuriating, there's no reason for me to be feeling this way, dealing with normal depression. Like to the point of absurdity. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what it really hangs the lantern on is that, you know, a lot of people talk about like, oh, well, depression and, you know, the, the, the futility of existence and chemical imbalance. Like she, she hangs a lantern on the fact that this is absurd. Oh yeah. Like it is absurd to feel this way and to feel this sort of futility at the normalcy of life. And yet guess what? There it is. Like it's awful, but it's so like, I love that she just makes fun of herself. Like it's, it's a scary thing to talk about because I think when people think, uh, suicidal they they have this very dramatic idea in their head and she just normalizes it of like the the suicidal thoughts of just I just hate existing and I have no reason for it and I'm mad at myself for having no reason for it and it's never getting better and her art which is just silly yeah, yeah. and the way she's and her witty comments and the way she just makes it so digestible it's such a good read well, there's there's also, I think, what she does that most people are, I think, frankly, scared to do is she has a sort of, I don't want to say optimistic side of depression, but there's there's that part where she talks about, you know, where she sinks so low into the depression where she walks into the video store and she's wearing this sweatshirt hoodie that she hasn't washed in probably 10 years. Who knows? And she's like, guess what? I have armor that you cannot penetrate. And this is fantastic. Nothing can penetrate my fantastic armor. Really all she is is just like this, this stone slug. And like, I'm just existing and renting movies that I don't even care about. But guess what? You can't affect me. It's, it's not like I hate everything. That's not what it is. It's, my ice cream fell off my ice cream cone. Don't care. My, my dog died. I don't care. You cannot affect me. I have armor. Screw you all. Screw the entire world. And she, that first part, that part one, like has her riding away on her bicycle. Like I am invincible. And there's this weird, like, as she sinks into depression, she just has this moment of, I'm like Superman. It's not optimism, but it's it's invulnerability to the world's assaults. Can you imagine Superman with ennui? <laughs> Superman with depression. I think that's what the Zack Snyder movies were about. Oh, <laughs> deep oh, cut. That's really bad. <laughs> Hot takes. We got him. <laughs> yeah, I, and. I, I mean, how many memes have we seen sort of as a result of the webcomic, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I hadn't read it. You know, all of you had. So I had not even known. She's got it published. I've right. got the book on my shelf. It's great. Yeah. Two books. But I, I had not even known where the, what the context of these, all these memes Hashtag were. Millennial. <laughs> right. Right. Clean all um, the things. Right. Yeah. All the things? No, not all the things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I find that fascinating in many ways. 
maybe just because I'm old. <laughs> You're from the era where we didn't talk about our sadness. We That's just right. stuffed it down. <laughs> Dig into that deeper, Dean. What did you find fascinating about? Like you knew the meme, but you didn't know the story. So because I'm a, a word nerd and the, and I look for, I don't know, like, so this is probably not going to make for great radio, Daniel, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 but when I, I find things like textually, like, like, like the whole nine yards, let's just take that the whole nine yards. Okay. Um, say, you know, I did that and, and the whole nine yards, it, um, I thought, well, that's probably a football reference, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not. Nope. And I was fascinated, you know, by that and like t- did a little research and found out that the whole nine yards is a World War I reference mm-hmm. for a gun with a long strip of ammo that goes for nine yards <laughs> and you shoot the whole <laughs> the whole strip of ammo into someone or some <laughs> or at something. Yeah, you'd say I'd give him the whole nine yards. Oh, we're gonna give him the whole nine yards, right? Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I did not know that. Deadly, yeah, reference. And so for me, it's like visually and I don't know textually finding out where something is from is. I guess the interest for me is that I figured that out, and I was like, okay, now this makes a lot of sense, and I can understand where it's coming. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting too to see like what makes its way into a meme versus the original context too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? I wish that I could think of any meme that I've ever seen in my life right now, but uh, (laughs) a lot of the, the format of it, (laughs) of like memes in general, you know, is that the meaning begins one way, or perhaps it's just a particular screenshot that looks like something that it isn't even, it's taken out of context altogether and it warps and changes as it duplicates over time. Sort of like DNA, every time it replicates, there's small changes and you end up with something perhaps entirely different by the time you get to an iteration of it. There's a certain irony in it. Yeah, I was going to say, aren't memes trite? And in many ways, doesn't that play into the way this graphic novel or webcomic deals with things? I mean, it's, it's almost fitting, isn't it? It is certainly mimetic, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, she boils this down to such a, a simplicity and particularly a visual simplicity because visually it's incredibly simple, but narratively she's doing something much more complex. But if you just take that visual, you can sort of supplement or retransplant it. You can transplant it into another idea. She actually, I saw an interview years ago where she was like, you know, I appreciate like being memed and getting that exposure, but you know, sometimes you end up getting politicized with a viewpoint that you don't particularly agree with. Oh, sure. Um, like, well, we can all put our imaginations in that with clean all the things and these blank all the blanks. Like yeah. mm-hmm. that can be applied to so many things. And she's like, yeah, I don't really appreciate that, but it, you just have to deal with that secondary packaging. And it's just kind of unavoidable. Yeah. I want to study memes now. I want to do a show on memes. Oh, God. The rabbit holes you could go down. Uh, what it makes me think of is, if anybody's read Scott, Mc- Scott McCloud's 
understanding comics. And there's this fantastic segment that he talks about where um, it's the, the more complicated and detailed of, of an image is, say, if it was just a, a, a photograph of my face, you're just going to identify that as Daniel, right? But the more you simplify it, it could be, well, any Caucasian male with facial hair, and the more you simplify it, it's any male, and the more you simplify it, it's, it's any person, until it's just a circle with two dots and a line, and it's just a little like face and now it's any human being on the face of the planet and the more you simplify the more ideas that you can insert onto that iconography this sort of imagery the more complicated it is the more specific it is but the more simple it is the more we can just transplant anything we want onto it so you know if we have an adventure with just stick figures we can identify with the stick figures, but if it's Brad Pitt in Troy, honestly, I like that movie, but all I'm seeing is Brad Pitt, right? And I think that's, that's little... such a weird pick for your story. <laughs> that's specific. You know why? <laughs> why? Because when I said stick figures, I thought Stickman Odyssey, which was <laughs> it's a comic. Of the Odyssey, it does the entire Odyssey story, but with stick figures. So it jumped into the Odyssey, and that jumped into Troy. And I was like, obviously, I have to go to Brad Pitt now. (laughs) Mm -mm, mm -mm. That's a lesson in how Daniel thinks. Well, and I think one of the things about hyperbole and a half, one of the beautiful things is that that there is the juxtaposition of so many things, that there is the idea of depression, the idea of being suicidal, something that seems so huge and maybe giant-like in so very complicated, then condensed down into a form that is so visually simple even, makes it super digestible in a way that people never really expect it to. I just keep thinking of her sitting on the pile of laundry and I'm like, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's what not wanting to exist anymore looks like. Yeah. A hundred percent. Even if you're not literally doing that, the representation of it is very, sometimes it feels like that. I think you can even draw comparisons between say, uh, her body language in the comic, as opposed to Barbara's body language in I kill giants. You have these like hunched shoulders, this sort of, not quite animal, but, you know, wild sort of like her. Don't touch me, please. I am so unstable at the moment, mm-hmm. but not in like a demeaning kind of way. Just that there is there is that shared similarity between them. And I think between the two, you've got I Kill Giants, which is when you're not mentally, internally, like metacognating on that process, whereas Hyperbole and a Half, The Adventures in Depression, even the title Adventures in Depression, Mm-hmm. Wee, isn't that yeah. fun? Yeah. Is an extreme meta analysis dividing how you think and how you feel and how they just don't match up sometimes. Well, I think that's underscored when that, that great scene where she talks to her mother about, like, okay, look, I think maybe there's a possibility. Uh, hear me out. Maybe I want to die. And, you know, I think with a lot of people who haven't experienced depression, they think like suicidal is like, I I have to run towards the abyss. I I have to 
get to a top of a building mm-hmm. and I have to just just mm-hmm. run to the edge and just like embrace the fullness of death. It's more like a process with far more energy than it actually is. Right. Yes. It's more like hmm, living death. It's living is tired. Wow, I'm really indifferent to that, and I pff, crap. If I'm indifferent yeah. to it, I might as well just. So it's 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 the blaséness, and I, I that mm-hmm. like you said, sleeping on a pile of laundry. It's just so blasé, as opposed to I actively am trying to kill myself, like it's like an achievement in a video game. So no, 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 that's not what it is. It's no. If I don't care either way, then I kind of feel like I'm making a decision here. Right. It's like people always picture it as like this Romeo and Juliet. Oh my God. Tragedy, mm-hmm. tragedy, screaming. When it's really just like waking up in the morning and being like, fuck, I'm awake again. <laughs> it's it's waking up and thinking, well, I, I could take a shower or I could go get the shotgun. Well, the shotgun's in the other We're gonna room. We're going to have to slap some warnings on this episode. And- the Content warning, trigger, trigger warning. warning. Oh, yeah. The shower is yeah. in between me and the shotgun. So the shower is technically fewer steps. So I might as well just take a shower because I have to get out of bed if I'm going to get the shotgun anyway. So the absurdity is, I think, super relatable. The Anybody who has been in that particular situation sometimes feels the, the zaniness and the wackiness of it that is embodied in that simple art style where everything, I, you know, it. The art is simple. The idea is simple. It seems like it should be so simple, but it's not very complex. And I think that to have something that looks like, I mean, you look at it and you say, oh, that's a meme. To be conveying such ideas is really, really masterfully done. Yeah. And I think the part that I relate to the most is is not sleeping. I relate to the sleeping on the pile of laundry, but it's it's when her inner voice, her depressive voice is like, hey, what you doing? Oh, you're going to the kitchen? Okay. Go F yourself. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you, your worthless so pile up. of excrement. Go, uh, cool. You heading into the kitchen? Go F yourself. No, it's such an accessible window into like what depression really looks like. And I think it, it does a very important thing because it normalizes it. That and at the end, she's not stuck in a depressive rut. She's gotten help and it, it's not. And then it's all rainbows and 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 unicorns it's you know what i looked at a piece of corn and i laughed and i saw a little bit of optimism in the world and that's legit straight up all that i needed was just to have a really good laugh and and get some serotonin into the system and then it's like cool disclaimer laughing does not cure depression Facts. Neither does corn. Yeah. Unless right. you're laughing at corn, then you're just I don't cured. Think yeah. so. No. But that's that's a that's a good way to end the episode though with corn. With a laugh. Yeah. Laugh corn. <laughs> <laughs> laugh corn. Get ourselves right. a big old bucket of laugh corn. Yes. The pub is produced on that series of tubes we all know as the internet from the studios at Underdark, which doubles as my basement and office you can listen on itunes google play spotify and stitcher where we post new episodes every monday you can also find us on australiatemag.com where we publish new stories poetry art and of course podcasts don't forget to follow us on facebook instagram and at the pub podcast on twitter until next time thanks for listening to the pub australia magazine's podcast about all things narrative story and publishing <laughs>